So here we are on the 24th of August, a mere week from spring, as we sit here luxuriating in the imagination that we've created, imaginary world, a question has arisen in the mind of one. Not always, but it's certainly not uncommon when I do meditate. I'll often, during the meditation, and even still now, feel like I want to throw up. Oh. Hmm. I may not have wanted that. <laughs> uh, it just, I don't so know. So the nausea, is it? Mm. Mm. Only when you meditate? Um, yeah, 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 like after a while it'll just come hmm. away. But not always. But that was a good meditation, so it seems to stir up something and I feel like I want to throw up. I wonder if it's affecting the balance organs. You know, we know someone that's having a vertigo experience at the moment somewhere else. I, I don't know, I'd be speculating, but I just wonder whether it's the loss of body awareness might actually do something to trigger because you know that the inner ear and that and mm. vertigo is all related nausea is a sign it could be just a transitional mm. state mm. I've never really heard of it have you is it oh, I'm nausea if it's with your breathing it might be air in the stomach that's turning up the stomach mm. I don't know I have to okay. take that on notice have you looked it up researched it Nausea. Okay, everyone out there in meditation land, meditation makes you feel nauseous. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, is it there now? It's dissipating, but it's still there. There is a general catch-all answer for these things, which we were told all the time, and they call it purification. Like a purge. Mm. At some energetic level the energy is moving and if there's stuff there that it's hitting against it can create a reaction that um, may take you know days weeks months to resolve mm. but eventually the meditative energy is actually healing you at a very deep energy level and sometimes um, it can manifest as temporary symptoms of mm. sickness but it's part see another thing is that the rubbish going in the rubbish coming out can sometimes feel the same as rubbish going in. You're taking the rubbish out. You still have to deal with the rubbish, but it's leaving. So that is one possible explanation. Although I always felt they took that analysis to extremes. There was some person that had actually broken their foot in the ashram and they um, were going around holding their foot and someone went up and said, don't worry, it's just bone purification. Yeah. Actually, it was a fracture. Um, also, they say that it's advisable to meditate on an empty stomach. So, if you've had a full meal, you've no, no, not this time. No, okay. can be though. I mean, mm. when the metabolism slows down, all the processes, including digestion, slow down. So, if you've had a heavy meal and then you meditate, you can actually really feel. Have you ever done that? You really feel it sitting in your stomach. So, I don't know, I wouldn't worry about it. As long as it resolves when you're finished. Mm. I would say that if it's it, nearly gone, yeah. if it occurs only when you're meditating and, yeah. and not other times, then I would suggest that it definitely has something to do with the meditation. I would think so. 
Yeah, but I, I wouldn't have thought that it's um, anything other than a cleansing, some form of cleansing process. Yeah. It's probably the best answer that you could give. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, we see all sorts, have seen all sorts of um, weird and wonderful things when the Kundalini energy starts getting stirred up. I mean, you've had experiences of movement, swaying motion, mm, and I heat. Get that. Yeah. yeah, and um, and I get tears. Yeah, mm. I wake up and I will come to when I've got yeah, tears mm. running to my yeah. face. <laughs> so all these things are they're really just to be seen as transitional things. Yeah, not a reason to stop unless it became so intense. I mean, there are people that have psychosis before they learn to meditate. And sometimes the meditation can stir up states of dissociation, you know, and they might need to back off for a while or go get some help with the underlying condition. But um, I'd say, by and large, the process is pretty harmless. And hopefully, good. Yeah. Well, when once the nausea passes, you yeah, should. It's pretty much gone now. You should be feeling all the other longer-term effects of meditation, including peace, calmness, joy. Happiness for no good reason. That's a good side effect. I remember that they asked the Dalai Lama once, what do you gain what did you gain from meditation? And he says, I can't really say what I gained, but I can tell you what I lost. I lost fear, I lost sadness, I lost and then it was just a whole list of things that he doesn't carry anymore because they've all been purged. So sometimes it's not about what you gain, it's about what you lose. Mm. You're losing limitation. Actually in my corporate program I've actually trademarked the term beyond limitation. That's because you're thinking about how could you articulate all the benefits of meditation? There are so many, it's working on so many levels. But I think the one unifying principle that confines all of humanity, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, um, financial, anything, any cause of suffering, ultimately comes back to some form of limitation of the being, that the being believes itself, identifies or defines itself within a frame of limitation. And of course, ego is a great limiter in itself, is really the you might say uh, the bridge between limitation and suffering is the ego because if like there what you said you have an ego but it's not who you are yeah that was my little insight this week I was meditating and um, I was thinking you know when you go beyond body then there is no body uh, but there is still you a sense of being so clearly you can't be the body. This is the classic argument. If you could have awareness without body, then you can't be body. If you're awareness, body is not a function, awareness is not a function of having a body. Uh, if you go beyond mind, and awareness is still there, then clearly you're not your mind. The ego is a product of mind. People generally identify with their ego. But if you can have awareness, which carries the sense of I am, without ego, then it means that ego is not who you are. And actually that was our session last week, the session entitled A Profound Realization. I might recap on that because it was a profound insight that came that was around this idea similar to what I've just been saying 
that um, one is sitting there. You can try this now, you can close your eyes. You actually have two simultaneous streams going on at the same time. One is, if you're attentive, you will very quickly locate the continuous stream of awareness. Which is unfolding in the moment constantly. It's just the awareness, being aware of awareness. Right? And and that carries a very profound sense of the I am. The awareness as you. But also sometimes simultaneous with that there may be thoughts a stream of thoughts or intermittent thoughts and so you've got the sense of I am that is tied to the awareness being your fundamental identity that's carrying the sense of you but then there are thoughts around that sometimes and I think the mistake that people make is that because of the intermingling with, of awareness with thought, they start to wrongly believe that the thoughts are what are carrying their sense of I am. That they think they are, they, they believe that they're their thoughts. Because that they, no one's shown them that there is this awareness that's there as well. And because they can't separate the two, they conflate. You know, there's that nice legal term, conflate, is to bring together as one this concept that the awareness and the thoughts are the same thing. But as we've just seen, if you can allow the thoughts to dissipate, thin out, become sparse, the underlying field of awareness is really where the I am is located. And so the profound realization is that if you can show people that they are not their thoughts, then you give them some freedom from the entrapment or the entanglement that thoughts are uh, inescapable and uh, the cause of their concern. It's the thoughts are not the cause of the concern, it's the belief that the thoughts are you that is the cause of the limitation. So then if we talk about being beyond limitation, one aspect of that means being beyond the belief that you are those limiting thoughts. Stop believing that. Just see them as a passing parade of things that are flowing down the river of consciousness like petals or leaves or even rubbish or whatever you kind of thoughts you're having. They're just going to go. But the stream of consciousness, the flowing stream of awareness will never end. And within that, you locate your true identity, which is infinite, pure, already pure. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. It just feels pure. Yeah, it's very pure. And that's the true state. So the thoughts are not 
you. But if you go to the man in the street and say, you know, the people that came and stayed at your place last weekend that felt so trapped by their existence and the suffering that they were enduring through their work or their life because they have no alternative platform to locate, to, to move their awareness to. There's no escape. They're trapped. It's trapped. That's bondage. They looked trapped. Yeah. So, you know, in yoga we talk about the, the, there's bondage and there's liberation. That's bondage. Bondage is the belief that this material existence is all there is. Do you think people can, um, can feed off others? like that negativity can be mm. like catching. Definitely. Mm. It's all vibrational, it's all energetic. But you see, again, the yogi knows that, that I mean, the yogi is like, I was, I mean, we use the analogy of the lotus leaf in the pond and the droplets of water will be on there as, as droplets, but they don't wet the leaf. You've seen photos and I was just watering the nasturtiums before the session. Come on. There's this little hat. Here come. And uh, nasturtiums are the same. If you have you got nasturtiums at home, next time you're out watering, with a sp spray some water on the nasturtium leaves, and you'll see that the droplets do not stick. They just sit there like pearls on the surface. And this is the perspective of the yogi: is that you can be within the world, but it's not actually touching you. It's not penetrating. You because I find that's one of the greatest qualities of meditation is that it provides a buffer around you. Mm. But the, the buffer is you're not, you're not torn, right? Or, or, you know, or pulled one way or the other. Yeah, because we take refuge in the other state, and and is it escapism? Well, yes and no. I mean, it's escapism. It's escaping from suffering. Why is that a bad thing? I think but external is escaping into, like, trying to escape into... Well, that's external. right. That's so quite it's the opposite. It's more like liberation. Yeah. You become liberated. Exactly. It's not an escape. Wow. But I mean, to escape from opposite. suffering... Right. Yeah. To escape from suffering is that you're in the panic room and someone shows you the exit mm. and you go through that door into the light. How is that about? Yeah, I'm escaping. I'm escaping from my limitation. But you actually can function so much better. Absolutely. I mean, do whatever needs to be done. And your point just then about that the, that the bound reality where the suffering lives is actually the ultimate cop-out in a way because what you're copping out from is the true... Um, Madness. Yeah, but you're, you're, what you should be doing, we would say, is trying putting your effort, inquiry, energy into the question of who am I? But buying another car, another dress, another handbag, going on another trip, getting another lover, uh, you know, joining a political party, rallying, um, every other distraction that everyone is engaging in, taking another drug, going, eating another meal, all of that passing parade of stimuli, that's the escape. 
That's mm. the escapism because they're not addressing the fundamental cause of their unhappiness. They're not facing themselves. Right. Wine, wine, was wine was not mentioned. The wine's permissible. <laughs> that's not that's not it's escapism. Also sacred. Depends if you uh, see now the tantra. Now that's one view of how what this is about. The other view is the tantric view, which the is that you utilize those things are all okay. As long as you use them in the correct correct mm. way with the right attitude. With awareness. Exactly. They are actually potentially doors to liberation as well. What a great yoga that says that you can have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. I love that. Person. That you can drink your wine. Yeah, Abhinava Gupta. <laughs> you you have we have to bow down in is he got a book? He has. It's <laughs> the one that... Just remember, tonight it'll be Abhinava Gupta. Abhinava Gupta. Abhinava Gupta. So when we do the Dharanas, do you remember the Dharanas? Those sent, he's the author of that text. So and he's so these are he was a householder. He had girlfriends. I mean, it's like, they're just saying, whatever, pleasure, the roses... So you took, take the roses, right? And, and we drink of their beauty. And within the beauty, you, we locate our own beauty because it's, the perception it's is internal. Within. It's the attachment. It's the attachment is the suffering, but if you could cast aside the attachment and just enjoy the object mm. in the moment and completely surrender to the joy and then follow the joy back to the location or the mm. source of it, there's no... Uh, I mean, that's a very high yoga. We're not subscribing to the path of um, asceticism, where you have to um, don a hessian sack. And, the transcendent, uh, transcendent versus the imminent. Yeah, so. but I mean that is also a legitimate path, but it's one that very few people can do because there's a big ego trap in it. Actually, I've seen ascetics that define themselves through their asceticism the, uh, and it's like, sort of give up everything. Aren't I great yogi? Yeah. yeah, which is they're not actually liberating from anything other than Misery. comfort. Yeah, well, they're liberating from comfort, but um, it is a path, and it's also known as the path of the um, middle path. The middle path is where you want to be, but the extreme path. Of, there's extreme hedonism, mm. and then there's extreme asceticism right and and you know potentially those are legitimate paths as well the ascetic by denying the flesh by undergoing mental privation by uh, um, learning like how to trans like those nuns are going to yeah, retreats exactly so don't or don't speak all that all those we call it in yoga it's called tapasya tapas is burning so you you will subject the body to um, privation to hunger, to discomfort, deliberately as a tool to try and flip you out of body awareness into a transcendent state. So is it can it, be done. So is that like the, the tantric way, but no. with no. displeasure compared to uh, No, 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 no. They're actually denying the body completely. So they're actually basically... Punishing um, them. Yeah, in a sense, it's sort of... But it's not out of a self-loathing. It's more of a sense of... Renunciation. Um, yeah, of I am not this, so therefore it doesn't matter what the hell I do to it. Mm. I'm gonna, it, it will get so extreme that that almost like the soul will jump out, and and you you go into that higher state. And actually, through asceticism, you can gain supernatural powers. Cities can be gained 
it can be a fast track if that's what you're into. Levitation, all those kind of things that you read about are all potentially accessible through these denial processes. You don't generally get them through hedonism. But if you go to the other end, to the enjoyment of the senses, that's the tantric path, the enjoyment of this body, this life, all the beautiful things, as long as you don't have attachment to them, because then, you know, the Buddhist would say that's the cause of suffering. The moment I'm attached to having roses in the house, and then one day they're not there, then I'm going to suffer. But while, the, while they are there, enjoy them. I mean, they're, they're beautiful things. Why not use that? But then you, what you're doing is you're taking the pleasure of all things and you're understanding that uh, the experience of pleasure is always going to be internal. And so what we gradually want to learn to do is we dispense with the roses and we just go straight to the pleasure. And um, remind ourselves of impermanence. Like the flowers will die, and yeah. but we can still be. Right. We don't need we don't need those, but if they're there, they're a tool. Mm. But then, yeah, the ultimate. It's like an embrace of life while you're embodied. Yeah. It, you're really embracing life to the full. Hmm. And that's where gratitude comes in. I mean, that's a, gratitude can be a, is a great um, liberator itself the gratitude because even when you don't have the thing that you want being grateful for the things that you have gratitude will lead you back into a deep state of divinity you feel the gratitude if I, if you can't sleep at night people get caught in their thoughts gratitude is a really wonderful place to go and rest for a while until sleep comes again and you'll find that of all the emotional states that you can reside in, in that moment where you're sitting there going, I can't get to sleep, you go into the gratitude state and it seems like all the cares of the world are gone. So it's a nice strategy for a, for a mind that is restless. Come back to the things that you can appreciate. Uh, I was going to just go and do a little quick diversion into um, asceticism. Have you heard of Diogenes, the Greek philosopher, who was a founder of the mm. school of cynics? Cynic comes from the Latin word dog, actually the ancient Greek word before it. Diogenes um, was an ascetic, and he um, was one of the greatest philosophers of his time, so great in fact that Alexander the Great came and sought him out to have his blessing, to be in his presence. But Diogenes was so unaffected by all the trappings of wealth and power that when Alexander came to see him and stood before him and said, O oh great Diogenes, this is one of the greatest fulfilments of the wishes of my life is to be in your presence. Uh, ask anything and I shall grant it. And Diogenes said, there is only one thing I seek from you, Alexander. Stand to one side because you are blocking my son. He was sitting in the sun, just yes. taking in the sun. He said, that's all I need you to do is just get out of the sunlight. <laughs> and another time he used, to, he used to live in the marketplace in a big barrel. It was actually a ceramic jar, but it was big, presumably for storing wine. And he would sleep there. 
he would make a great um, show of the fact that he wasn't, not really for an egotistical route, but as an example to others to show that you don't need all of the pleasures and the comforts of life in order to be happy. And so he was quite content to live in this barrel. And, and then he would walk through the city during the daytime carrying a lantern. And people would stop and ask why. I mean, it was, it was apparent madness. Why would you have a light in the day? And he'd say, I'm looking for an honest man. <laughs> so he would, he would teach and his whole life was a teaching but that was the power of his asceticism was so great that people would absolutely get a sense of his greatness through that imagine him doing that through parliament now yeah exactly, looking for an honest man you'd need, <laughs> you'd need ten searchlights and you still wouldn't find it all due respect actually I do have some friends that are politicians still that I, I think are pretty decent human beings but Unfortunately, uh, the world is entering an interesting phase. It is, isn't it? Mm. And I don't really know about it, but um, the, the person in this house that knows about the news is, is my source of information. And I've asked her to tell me when it's time to evacuate. Hmm. But I deliberately choose not to mm. let my mind go into that whole thing mm. because I just did it as an experiment. For a week, about two years ago, I read an article that said if people that don't read the media are happier people, and I thought that's an interesting theory, let's give it a try. And after a week of not reading the constant stream of ups and downs of you know, natural disasters and political dramas and conflict and all, you know, 90% of it's bad, and now suddenly I'm feeling like this really light free being and then I, it struck me that what I was carrying before was the collective weight of all those thoughts and ideas and dramas that are being pushed out there and I'm thinking wow what's the collective load of that baggage that people are carrying and if only and I'm not saying we shouldn't be informed but there's a difference between being informed and being this is where I get on my bandwagon being manipulated and I think there is so much of that still that occurs that it's a whole doctrine of fear and an agenda mm. around making people feel limited and trapped and I don't know why but uh, that's how it's become and so now I rely on other people to tell me when it's time for me to evacuate. You can just be more selective much more what selective. you want to read about something. Yeah or, that's right. Yeah. And I'd say that news per se is not a bad thing, um, if it's true, if it's the truth. Yeah. But, how, you know, here's, here's my other take on that. When I was leading the internet industry, journalists would call me all the time. I'd go into a meeting, I'd come out, there'd be eight voice messages from journalists wanting to have a comment on something. And I'd go and give an interview and it would turn up in the paper the next day. And I would read it and probably a third of it was completely wrong even though I was very careful to explain people, to people the issues and significance. And I'm thinking, okay, so that was my article and a third of it's wrong. I know which third was wrong because I gave the interview. But these Part others... Part of it was left out, which but, is like reality. Yeah. You can only see a sliver of... Or context. Truth. And then I'm reading, the, looking through the 300 other articles in the same paper and thinking they were all produced by the same process. 
So let's say a third of each of those articles is wrong. Which third mm. is wrong? So How left do out. Yeah. You, you have no idea. And so you're constructing an entire worldview based on uh, systemic inaccuracy just through the process of the creation. That's not even going to this other thing that the news proprietors might have an agenda that they want to push a particular, even taking that out of the process and assuming that everyone's honest and sincere, the inaccuracy is caused by the process itself will introduce error. But then you introduce another layer on top of that, which are the agendas of whatever they're trying to, the ruling classes or however you want to say, are trying to uh, impose their view through the vehicle of the media. And, and the result is you've got an entire population that are carrying fear, confusion, um, opinions that are not their own opinions. Think about where your opinions come from. How many times do you see someone's opine something and uh, it's not really subtly there. you take it on? You go, yeah, I guess that's right. And so the next thing, you're in conversation with someone else and it's coming out of you. And initially you might say, I read the other day, but a week after that it's coming out of you as if it, you were the source. And so suddenly you're walking around with a whole bag of opinions and none of them, you've never proved any of those things. And what if you're an influencer? What if people actually listen to you? That's, that would be dangerous. I mean, yeah, if everyone ignored you, there wouldn't really be a problem. But there's always someone that's going to listen to you. And guess what? You just, you just infected them. You infected them with the same opinion that you were carrying. Now they're going around espousing it. You see that all the time with people. And <laughs> Isn't that it true? Yeah. Yeah. It's opinion is such a... I mean, I can be pretty opinionated too. I don't really take them too seriously. But you've got to be careful in leadership roles. People listen to what you say. And actually, it became apparent to me pretty early on, I need to be really careful what I say because I'm a thought leader now. And so suddenly people are thinking, well, if he says it, it's got to be true. So you really got to be careful because you're affecting, you know, whatever constituency is out there. Anyway, so Diogenes was looking for an honest man. Someone said to him, introducing themselves, I am so-and-so and all their achievements. And Diogenes would say, I am Diogenes the dog. Right, so he was trying to really create a sharp relief between the um, the affectation. Do you know the word affectation? That's the front that people put on, the, the mask. Actually, Sailor Bob has a great story about this. He says the word persona comes from the Latin word that means mask. So you're carrying around a persona. So what mask is it that you're showing to the world? What is the what is it? What are the characteristics that you are portraying? That you're the role that you want to project. Do you know? Do you know what you're projecting? Depends how self-aware you are. I mean, an enlightened being won't project any persona because there's no ego. I mean, ego and persona—it's the same. Mask, ego. Mm. It's an illusion. 
It's a fabrication. Like Ruby said, rip off your mask, you have a magnificent face. Mm. But it's the face of God, you know, I mean, it's not the face of the ego. It's the face of the unlimited, the unmanifest, the perfect. So, yeah, what's the mask that you're projecting? How many masks do you actually have? You've probably got quite a, a few. mask for all occasions. Yeah. You know, I was in Venice. Have you ever been to Venice? And they make these spectacular masks. They used to wear them in the... Balls. Yeah, and they would have these masks and they've got glitter and jewels and sort of harlequin type things and real feathers. Really beautiful masks. Because they didn't want you to, you had to guess or, or people used to go anonymous. Well, wasn't it the Mardi Gras? So there was a, no, that may be south of it. But there was a time of the year in Venice, one week. Yeah, the Viennese ball. Was it the one week where everyone abandoned themselves to pleasure completely during the time of Casanova? And so people wear masks and they go and do like pretty out there things, cutting loose for a week. And it was part of the culture, it was permitted, but they all had to wear a mask. So they never wanted to show who they really were. And, and so now in a way there's freedom in that. Anonymity. No, no projection, if it's a blank mask, then you can be whoever you want. Mm. There are people, comedians do that, don't they, and actors. Yeah. There's whatever mask they put on, it can be very liberating. You play the role. Yet but there are some actors in you swear that they, that it's them. Mm. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's a good actor, actually. <laughs> if You're they acting, make... that's you. Mm. Yeah, anyway, so it's all imagination. This realm, all this, all this apparent change that's occurring. Mm. Does it mean anything really? Could you actually even give anything meaning? If it's just a river full of junk flying past? Sit there and go, but why? We're always saying, why? Change is so rapid. I was with a friend last week and his two daughters, and uh, one of them's having a bit of a hard time at work. She's not happy. And she was saying, you know, she has a lot of thoughts. It was the week I had the insight about the identity being with awareness, not with thoughts. And I was saying to her, you know, those thoughts aren't who you are. And she go, but I keep asking myself, why? Why am I having these thoughts? And I said, well, remember that even the why is a thought. Overthinking. Even Think saying overthinking. why is a thought. Stop asking why. Mm. It's just it's just movement. Don't get caught in it. That's where the liberation is. It's where you stop believing or even caring about the thoughts that you're having. They'll still be there. Try and have nice thoughts. If you can't have nice thoughts, at least just be the observer of the thoughts that are not so nice. You walk into a crowd and you're looking around. Do you ever do people watching? You sit there and you're just watching. You're not judging, just watching. Oh. Oh, isn't it wonderful, the great diversity of life? Almadama is a good place to do I, it. You get I was a great telling you that situation yesterday. And I, I did that, I just observed. Um, 
there was a very old couple in front of me in the checkout line in Woolies, and mm. very old couple with a big load of trolley. But in the part where you put your bag, there was a very, very lifelike baby doll with all dressed up, and and she was saying to the doll. It's all right, darling. I'll get you out in a minute. She lost her son. Yeah. yeah. She's a local couple. They so, walk around yeah, as if that is their child. And my heart, he was, my heart mm. felt totally expanded. Yeah. Like I felt such love, you know, I could cry. Such mm. love, you know. This is their reality. Yep. They yeah. lost their son and they, she couldn't, she just, I don't think she ever recovered. Mm. Right. Right. She's always had those very life yeah. like dolls. And, I just, mm. and he everyone takes it was when just, she's not around, he takes it. Yeah, yeah everyone really is just, yeah. you know, they were just... Accepting of it. Totally embraced mm. that's their reality. And mm. it was such a lesson, you know. Mm. Like, it's different for everybody. Mm. No judgment, no you judgment. just observe. No judging. Mm. If you cannot judge, it just, it's so liberating. Mm. So it's a nice thing, just sit there mm. and watch and just acknowledge. So you go, hmm. So the mime will jump in and go, oh, don't like her shoes. Or, you know. <laughs> Isn't that what women do? They immediately look at the other women's shoes. Hey. What, what, what's the thing with shoes? Hang about. <laughs> my husband has my shoes. Okay. Yeah, mine would have more than me. Sure. Right. But anyway, Bruno, Bruno Marley, <laughs> eat your heart out. But you know, this is the, the mind. Is you just watch the mind, and it's watching these things going by, and it's going. Just don't acknowledge. Don't don't judge. Just see. Hmm. Ah, another fine creation. Creation, creation. Creation. It's like when you do mindfulness. You don't tag. You don't. Mm. You don't investigate. No, you don't analyze the thoughts. You just say thought, thought, mm. thought, mm. thought. Or try not naming things. Yeah, don't name. That's what Eckhart Tolle That's says. Is really hold the awareness open and look at each thing, but don't name it. It's really hard at first, mm. but you could just use one word. Just say thing, <laughs> thing. It is very liberating, then. It, it is. is. Because what's left, when you take all that narrative out of the picture, what's left is just what I was saying before, you just come back to awareness. Even if somebody's angry or something, hmm, that's that person being angry. Oh, yeah. yeah, or if you're angry, just it's, don't call it anger. Mm. Just say it's emotion. Energy. Angry. Anymore. Yeah. You don't get angry anymore. Good. Except when my son has 20 yeah. There's 20 minutes. Bang on the door. Short. Just, <laughs> my son's in there for 45. Oh, right. well, but he's a there's teenager. There's someone worse. Yeah. They, don't, <laughs> they don't pay the bill. What do they care? It's your problem. I thought about giving him the bill next time. I reckon you go outside. But even my anger wasn't angry. I was just like, really, you know. Yeah. I think we've not seen the anger. <laughs> Probably not. I don't think he's seen any anger from Mm, maybe it's time you did. You could concoct anger. Our teacher used to get really angry for about one second. But they laugh. It would be like throwing angry. a thunderbolt, <laughs> and then immediately, like two seconds later, you'd be laughing. Like that's that's the like strategic anger for a purpose. 
but it's not consuming you or defining you. It's the people that are angry for days. Oh, yeah. That's where you've got a problem. I don't know. I don't feel angry about anything, really. So where's the difference, though? If, you, if somebody <coughs> puts that anger mm-hmm. or directs that anger at you, mm-hmm. but then they walk away, they're happy. Well, it's the, so it's your ego that's picked it up, I Yeah, guess. I guess it's all a question of intention. I thought you were going to say, is there karma in that? No. It, no. Um, I don't know. I think it comes to the intention of the person. Well, everything, the emotion that is directed to another person, um, the effect of that emotion, directing, directed emotion, is I think a product of the intention that is encoded within it. So if it's anger, let's say a, a teacher is angry at a student, but it's for the purpose of their learning. To, for them to gain attention, become more self-aware. Don't do that. That's very different. That's very different than, than just an outburst. Yeah, that's very different than anger from hatred or something. See, so it's not the emotion. The emotions are, are kind of, they're like technologies. They can be applied for good or for not good. Mm. But it's the intention behind them. So if you walk away and you're not angry and they're still carrying the impact of that anger well what I'd say is that the impact of the anger that the effect of that emotion on them will be a product of the intention that it's carrying so if a child is if you're angry with a young child but it's for their own good then that's not going to be damaging to them in a way that anger out of abuse would be yeah okay see so there's a, I think everything carried the intention it turns out is the is the is the fundamental mm-hmm. force so if you're like you say with abuse those people are carrying anger because they're they're body not, pain yeah, yeah. yeah they've got issues inside yeah but that's anger that's come into them from others maybe or is self-generated but it's carrying and you a happen payload. to be in the way but you're really not part of mm, you the just, reason you're, you, you're just in in that line of fire you got in the way mm. that actually i mean this is a whole subject but Anger is usually, if it's pathological anger, then it's a sign that the administrator of that anger is actually themselves in great pain. All forms of bad behaviour ultimately are coming from people who are suffering. Anyone that's in bliss is not going to go out there and act out because why would they want to disturb their own state? If I'm happy and in a state of pure joy, all I want to do is go share that because it actually intensifies that emotion, that feeling in me. So I think this is why we say, you know, the world would be a better place. And world peace will start by the individual finding peace. Mm. And then everyone's out projecting peace. If you could aggregate that through a whole society, then uh, that's what an ideal world can look like. But so I, your state would only change if somebody triggered um, something inside you that hadn't been resolved. Yeah, but if you've already resolved it, it can't be triggered. No, that's It's right. like when they say pushing people's buttons. Yeah. So basically, the enlightened being has no buttons left to push. Yeah. All that embedded stuff's finished. You know, our teacher used to say stuff like, I can cook you a meal, but you don't have to eat it. That's essentially what he's saying, is I can try and push your button, but you don't have to react. And if you've resolved it within yourself, 
So uh, let's say I've got no longer any ego identification with my body. I don't care how I look. So if someone insults my appearance, I'm not going to react because I don't think that's who I am anyway. Mm. But if someone is highly identified with their physical appearance, believes that you know they're only as worthy as how others perceive them physically, and someone comes along and says, actually those genes do make your bum look fat. <laughs> <laughs> then just no, we, we had we had this conversation. Well, see now. We let's have a look at who's ago. reacting to it. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I'm, I'm so over not worried about how I look that I think, my God, I'm just going to walk around in track pants. And, there you go. So and not actually care. No button yogi. left to push. Great yogi. But that's really the test of your evolution is the extent yes. to which you react to what people say about you. Mm. That's right. You know, the more less reactive you are, the more, the, the more profound the state of peace you're in. Mm. If you're in a, you know, a pure, perfect peace, Nothing's going to disturb that. that. What do they call that? Um, well, imperturbable peace. Can you imagine? I mean, the Buddha state. What, what are you going to say to the Buddha? That belly. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what could you he say? What could you say to the Buddha that's going to upset him? Nothing. Unless he wants to be upset, he's in control because he's transcended ego. Mm. So you become, we all become many Buddhas walking around going, say what you want. Not going to affect me. It's all good, all good in here. <laughs> anyway, that's pretty much, so there's your test. Notice how reactive you are. If you're becoming less reactive, less angry, less susceptible to the slings and arrows that are cast your way, then know that de-identification of the ego is underway and if you get to the point where you know anyone can say anything to you and, and you're still fixed in the center then that's uh, and I think if you do react science. if you're a meditator okay you might have something happen but I think it goes by really quickly like mm. recovery, recovery. Very so you can be bothered. Yeah. Basically, so it only takes as long as it takes for you to remember that you, that's not who you were anyway. Mm. So that's just one thought away from whatever they tried to throw at you. You know what I've found though is even if something, if I get agitated now, I can still be agitated, mm. but I'm aware that I'm agitated. Right. It just doesn't run. So if, even yeah. though I'm feeling agitated, mm -hmm. there's still that level of awareness, which doesn't always make you feel that much better. Yeah. But I figure that's at least, a, you know, you're halfway a there. A tiny bit of a step. Absolutely. Towards it, just being aware mm. that, you know, yeah, you're watching. So it's, it's whatever. But there's only one other step to go from there, and that is, what is that that is aware that I'm agitated? So the first step that's is the to go. Then, is it? Yeah, the first step is to, the first, the, the, the ground, the fundamental, the first state, the beginning state is I'm agitated. Yeah. The next state is this is aware that there is agitation. And then the next one is what is this that is aware? The moment you're there in the, I am the awareness of that which is aware that there is agitation, 
then there's no longer the agitation will naturally just go because you're not that anyway so what's hold there's nothing there to hold it there's no vessel for the agitation okay right. so, so it times I'll say, oh, that's just my ego, or, right. or like Eckhart Tolle would say, oh, yeah, it's yeah. just my pain body. Yeah. But, it, but I, shouldn't, I shouldn't, instead of even saying that, just say... No, you say that first, if you yeah, want to, yeah. but then go the next step and say, what is it that is aware? What is it that's aware? Yeah. Or who am I? Who is that? What, what, what is the, the nature of that which is aware? And go into that. And it will just drop away. There's nothing to hold it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. Lesson for the day. So you only. It's good to come, isn't it? Yeah. So. Yeah. We're really lucky. <laughs> so we are to come here. Really yeah. lucky. So you can only ever be Thank two you. steps away mm -hmm. from the perfection. The first mm -hmm. step is to realize that there is something going on. Mm -hmm. So you remember we went back to that thing that the thought. I am not the thought. So that the people that were suffering are still in the I am the thought mm. or I am the agitation, right? Well, not even, they're not even that, they're so immersed in the agitation yeah. there's no... There is just agitation. There's just yeah. agitation. Right. Yeah. So then the, the yogi goes, the first question is what is observed, become aware of the fact that you're agitated. So immediately there has to be a slight separation to even be separate from it. And then the next step is to go, well, what is that that is aware? Thank you. Become that, and you're done. That's liberation. You're cooked. You're fully baked. Yeah, but even use it opportunistically when you need to, and you uh, and therefore, and that's almost the tantric. It's exactly tantra again because it's saying, what is it that what is it that uh, experiences the beauty of the rose? Where is that beauty? It's the same kind of idea. First is the stimulus. There's the absorption into the stimulus, and then there is the reflection on the absorption itself. Mm. The, what is the perceiver? And then return to the source of where that comes from, and then the roses can be there or not there, but the bliss will be there. Okay, great session. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank I'll you. See you next week. <laughs>